Hey, podcast world, welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but rather uncertain. Today we're going to pivot a little bit, although we are continuing our Free to Love series. In 1989, our family arrived in South Africa to work with Youth for Christ in Durban. The staff was very small at that time, and so Sheila and I added significant numbers to the team. One of our colleagues during those days was Glenn Conrad. Glenn was always very positive and really helpful. A few years later, Glenn and his wife, Allie, moved to Johannesburg, and we lost touch. We heard through the grapevine that he and Allie had divorced a few years later, but we didn't know any of the details. After reconnecting on Facebook many years later, we found out that Glenn was living in the United States and that he had remarried, but this time to a man. In 2016, he was in South Africa and Sheila and I had lunch with him and we heard his story. It's a story worth hearing, and I felt like it might be helpful to share it with you. Glenn's response to my request to be interviewed was that if it might help somebody, then he was willing to put himself out there and to do it. So last week, Glenn and I had a Zoom conversation, and here it is for you. I hope it's helpful. So I'm here with my friend, Glenn Conrad, and um, Glenn and I go back a very long time, although we lost touch with, with each other for a long time. But let me just start, Glenn, tell us um, who you are. Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, where you live, all those kinds of things. Hi, Skip, and so good to be able to talk with you. It's been uh, um, interesting as I you reached out to me and I began to think about our, our time together a lot of that time has been on a treadmill for an hour and a lot of memories coming back and tears, in fact, uh, during that time. But I live in uh, a city called Palm Springs. It's two hours drive from Los Angeles. It's in the desert. Um, I live here with Rudy, my husband, uh, our two fur babies, uh, Bailey and Maddie. I work for a, a real estate company. It's the number one uh, brokerage in the U.S. using my skills from the, my many, many, many years in technology to help agents to market themselves and their listings. Um, yeah, that's my life here. We uh, have a home, enjoy this amazing weather that we have here, and we live in a community that um, is probably the highest concentration of um, gay people in the U.S. Wow. So very uh, welcoming, uh, very accepting, loving, and uh, unique community. But you, um, you're not American, we can tell by the accent, although it is a little ah. confused these days, yes. Um, <laughs> you were born in South Africa. Um, so tell us about your early childhood, your life, however many years ago that was. I won't reveal that. It's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time really. ago, yeah. It, it really is. Yeah, so I was born in Durban, South Africa, in the early 60s. I was one of two uh, children. My brother, Russell, was four years older than me. We kind of were in a, I'd say, a, a poorer sort of um, e economic situation as a family, um, but we were surrounded by some 
really amazing people as I grew up in Durban. In fact, I'm looking forward to meeting uh, two of them when I go to the UK in December. Like most children, I, you know, you in South Africa, you, you grew up not knowing much about the rest of the world around you. Um, I think we were isolated in many ways. But I did feel that I grew up in a family that where I was loved, cared for, that my, my dad and mom were present. They were very significant role models to uh, my brother and I. And although they passed um, my mom when I was when she was 55 and my dad when he was 61, you know, we had a, a very normal life, I felt, um, growing up in South Africa. Was it, were you, was it a church-going family? No. Um, in fact, um, to be fair, my mom had had some really tough experiences um, growing up. And uh, during that stage, um, she was very anti the church. I think there were things that had happened. If anybody has watched, watched the movie Philomena, would understand some of the things that, that might have contributed to that. So, um, no, they, we never, ever went to church. So when did you start to realize you were gay? Was that as a young boy? Was that when? Yeah. I mean, so the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, often, it's probably very I, complex. I know. Yeah, it is. I think I'd start off with the, the, the thought that I felt from a very young age, probably eight to 10, I felt different. Um, I was, you know, not as sporty as the other boys. Um, certainly as I, I got into my early teens, my sort of thinking as all the boys around me would talk about the girls, I wasn't thinking about that. So I knew very early age that there was something different about me. I, I felt that different was actually bad. And, you know, obviously in that sort of climate, I kept a lot of my feelings to myself. I tried to fit in. Um, and I think I was pretty successful by actually just being invisible just keeping away and keeping quiet. So I did have some sexual experiences with um, a particular uh, boy um, my age. I thought that this was terrible, the, the, the guilt that came from that afterwards, dealing with it. But yet it was something I continued at times and had to deal with. I think it um, as I tried to find information about what this was happening. I, I never felt that I could speak to my parents, but you'd find a book or two, an encyclopedia, and you'd look up uh, what this might be. You'd seen the word homosexual bandied about and heard. I'd also, you know, there was one particular um, boy at school who was, you know, you'd say he was effeminate today, um, but he, or a sissy as they would call him, it was devastating. I saw how they treated him. Um, he's someone I have still have contact with today, uh, and is a, an amazing young man in Cape Town. Well, he's no longer young, but um, you know I, I've referenced many times how you know the cruelty uh, that was that he had experienced, and I try to avoid that. But I knew I might be something like him. Um, I couldn't put a word to it. Um, I tried to find out more, and as as I read probably some of the things that surfaced was this is normal for boys to go through during their adolescent years. And um, so they would experiment sexually and it's not uh, an indication that there's something wrong with them. And later on, they'll become normal. And that later on was a long time coming. Yeah. Okay. So 
when I met you, we were working together in Youth for Christ. So what point did your life in your life did you enter into church world Christianity and that whole scene? Well, as a um, 17, 18 year old uh, young man just leaving school, uh, we had the compulsory military training that we had to go for two years and do our military service. On finishing my military service, I came back to Durban and somehow my path crossed with a friend of mine who um, actually was the head boy at our high school. And Brett, um, you know, Brett is somebody who was also in Youth for Christ. A lot of his early days, I was shadowed him. He had met Jesus and we, he um, had organized a party um, after military service. We had both gone to military service and he came back. Uh, he organized a, a get together from our, from our matric class. And there was something different about Brett. And I was searching. I had felt that um, my life was pretty empty and I was uh, in a lot of conflict with my internally. And I saw Brett as was being different. And I actually asked him, can I chat to you? And I still remember the time that I, after that uh, get together, I went to his home and it was there that he spoke to me uh, about Jesus. And my heart was racing and uh, my mind was like, this is the truth. This is what I've been looking for. And um, I sat there with Brett and went through a sinner's prayer and my life changed from that moment onwards in a very significant way, um, in a way that I can't deny the significance of that change. It was pretty awesome. And um, then became my introduction to church. At that time, I'd never been to church except in the military uh, where we were forced to go to church, and and I knew nothing about what I was doing in, in those services. But that became my life um, when I became a member of the Ambilo uh, Road Methodist Church and spent many happy years uh, serving there. How does now this part of you that you don't talk about and your Christianity, did that intersect? How did all that work out in your head? It didn't. Okay. You know, it, it was really difficult to um, align those two things because everything that I saw around me, both culturally uh, from a, a um, Christian point of view, seemed to indicate there was only one path that you walked along. And that path was as a man, you would meet a woman and you'd get married, you'd have children, and that would be it. So there was this conflict raging in my, my mind and my heart and my hormones. I just had to suppress it. And I can't tell you the numerous times that I'd, you know, come to the front of the church for prayer. I could never say what it was. You know, I would read that it was demons and the devil and everything and uh, uh, needed to be cast out. And I'd go away on retreats by myself to almost uh, uh, these monasteries almost to, to try and deal with it, go to the mountains. Um, cry, um, petition the Lord, read the scriptures. You know, I, I mean, I can't tell you the pain and suffering that I went through um, and just not understanding why this thing would not leave me. Yeah. So then eventually you got married to a woman. Indeed. What was that? What was that? What was going on there? Yeah. Once I finished my uh, theology studies, um, I was accepted as an intern with Youth for Christ. Um, I went up to Peter Marisburg, which is, you know, about, what, 45 minutes, 50 minutes from Durban. 
Um, and I was there with um, the team. You know, all of us know Keith and Doug and the whole Youth for Christ team. And um, I started my internship in Peter Marisburg. And as part of knowing that community, Dennis Drennan uh, and company, I uh, was invited to uh, Sharon Duma's 21st birthday party by this young lady called Ellie. She called me and uh, I still remember her saying to me, you know, you're invited. And um, I asked her, do I need to bring a present? She says, no, you don't need to bring a present. But if you don't bring a present, don't come. And and that began an incredible uh, journey for both Ali and I, because I just loved her spontaneity, her humor. Um, she was just amazing. Um, I came to the party and um, I think it was just after Youth Week, we were having a, a get-together correlated that same time and I invited her to the the rally that we were having, a YFC rally with all the people returning. You know, I got up onto stage and I led one of the songs from um, Youth Week to 600 people in the audience. And uh, that next day, um, we had a barbecue uh, at the home, at Dennis's home that I was homesitting. Uh, home and we just spoke until, I think it was four o'clock in the morning. And I was in love. Um, and there was no doubt in my mind that uh, at that time that this was the person I wanted to be with. And uh, we courted, we uh, were counseled and uh, supported by our local church there. Um, and um, a year later, we married. So how long did that last? And at what point was this not going to work? Was it because of your orientation or were there other circumstances? Yeah, so... I, I, try, I, I try and look back over that period and understand what was happening. Ali and I had a very healthy relationship, I felt. Um, and yet there was this um, feeling of not really being complete. It's hard to describe because there were so many areas of my life that Ali complimented me and, and made me feel whole. And yet... Um, I was, it was uneasy for me. And I, I began, you know, as more and more information became avail available, as you read things, as you were exposed to things, obviously for me, you know, being in South Africa, all the change that happened in South Africa, you know, brought about an acknowledgement in the constitution with, you know, equal rights for, for gay people. And that whole discussion began to kind of tug at my heartstrings. And I began to ask the question, you know, is this really who I am? You've heard about me being hidden, and I just try to feel like now I needed to really understand who I was. And I think in that process um, of reading, um, we were considering now having children. And I felt in my, my heart of hearts that I could not bring kids into the world uh, having not addressed this issue and understood who I am. And I kind of began to use those words, you know, that maybe I'm gay. And as it would happen, you know, a series of uh, things happened in my life where I met somebody, Stan, and Stan was married with two children. I met him and we fell in love. And that was the part that I never expected. I really didn't look for it. I just thought this was a physical thing. And we fell in love like I'd fallen in love with Ali, but it felt complete. Um, and at that point, I had some tough 
decisions to make, as did Stan. We said we would not make decisions based on each other's decisions, but I was the first to make a conscious decision to separate from Ali. Um, and at that time, I couldn't tell her why. I possibly used some very um, harmful things that I said, um, but just to make it sound like probably that she was at fault and I wasn't. And yet I did everything possible in that time to make sure that Ali was uh, cared for, um, supported financially in our home. I moved out. You know, I had to set up home and I, that was a very scary thing by myself. And then uh, came the time when Ali and I had that conversation and she actually asked me, she said, all these people are saying in the church, they're all saying, why is he so good to you? This is not the norm for somebody who gets divorced or wants to separate. She said, somebody had said to her, maybe he's gay. And at that point, I said to her, yes, I am gay. <laughs> so a lot of emotions come back. Yeah, I'm sure. And and we just cried and cried, cried together. Um, and she if there's any hero in this story, it's it's Ali because I've never met anybody like her or anybody since her. Um, um, just the strength and the courage. She said to me, "I can't imagine the pain that you've gone through." And had you know, she got it. She really got it. And she's always had it. She knew knew more about me than anybody else at that time. And um, she was like, "I want you to be free of this pain." And I know that it costs me. But I understand it. I, if it was another woman, I would fight. But this is very different. And so really with Ali, uh, having worked through this, and we continued to work through this, uh, there was a lot of things to, to take care of. Um, but she was incredible. Wow, that's incredible. An amazing woman. And, and you know, the, the interesting thing of it is that Stan actually also left his wife and two kids. Um, that relationship over time, healed and I became very good friends with uh, his ex-wife and even uh, he with Ali. I mean, Ali, he and I used to go to Weight Watchers together, Wayless, I think Wayless was in South Africa. We became very close and it was an incredible journey. Um, later on, um, when Debbie and the kids left um, South Africa to go to get married in the U.S., that was a catalyst for Stan and I actually to move to come to the U.S. Talk to me about coming out to your family, coming out to the church. How, what what all happened there? So one of the challenges I had, obviously, in this process that I've just explained to you, and it uh, was a long process. I mean, until I think it was I was thirty four. Was so. What does God think about it? And I'd always treasured my relationship with with god my friendship with christ and the intimacy of that relationship and in the process that i'd gone through i kind of had always felt that i had to be brutally honest with god about who i was and i'd fought that fight uh, that private fight that very personal fight uh, over many years and then came this, this situation where i did realize that I was gay and I had to reconcile this with my faith. Um, and I've said that many times to, you know, over those particular years when I, I was um, left Ali and um, was with Stan, 
that I had to come to peace with that. And I have to say that the greatest amount of peace that I had was in this sense that God was okay with this, that I was still his. I was no different except that I was now uh, accepting a part of my life that was always there. And I had absolute peace with that. And that peace continues to this day. I'm very felt very sad about the fact of what I was going to be doing to uh, Ali in that change, the friends that I had, my um, church community, uh, even my works, work environment. But I knew that I had to make it, and yet I made it on the basis that I felt very much at peace. That also meant that I had to deal with people that were my brothers in Christ. And um, that was a mixed bag, to be honest. But the mix was more heavily in the fact that people just let me be me uh, and didn't come after me in, in the words that you said in one of your episodes was clobbered. They were very accepting. In fact, um, Mark Titley, I think you know, Mark was my closest friend at that time. And I remember Mark saying to me how we met every Saturday to, to speak together um, at Cresta. And he would say to me, why in all that time that we met every Saturday for years, why did you never say anything to me? Because we were very um, deep in our conversations and we spoke very intimately. um, And I didn't have an answer. Why didn't I talk about it? The, maybe the shame, maybe the fear of rejection. And yet Mark was very accepting. Um, And so were many of the other friends that I had put it this way, or they just let me be. There wasn't a contingent from the church arriving at my home to try and uh, talk me out of this. But one of the most hurtful parts of this was the actual words and the letter written 23rd May, 1997 from Brett. The pain of that letter is uh, just enormous that are basically saying this, I've fallen the way of the devil and very hurtful things that were said in that. And there was no love. There was absolutely no love, except when it was said, I'm telling you this in love because you need to know it, because you need to change. You need to go back to the the wife of your youth. And here are 65 scriptures. And this is who you are. And this is not who you are. Um, It was basically lecturing me, not wanting to know anything about how I made this journey. Part of it might have been because of fear, uh, from his side, because we'd shared a, a, a flat together for uh, quite a lot of time when we were ministering to kids. But no, it, it none of it um, really was helpful. Um, it was just very hurtful. And yet I had a lot of people who were very, very supportive. Of course, Ali now knew uh, the next step, which I think was the most fearful part of my my coming out, was actually to tell my brother. Now, my brother's a lot bigger than me. He's older. He could have planted me. Um, and yet we sat down at the beachfront, um, Durban beachfront, one of the cafes there, and I told him. And from that day, my brother has been my biggest supporter, biggest friend, drew us closer. Many years later, um, when I was in San Francisco, at the lowest part of my life when I was contemplating suicide, uh, the only reason I could find that I needed to not do that was my brother. You know, he being the person who had had to deal with it and I was not 
um, fortunately never went through with that. But um, he, he was the scariest person to actually have to uh, confront. And uh, he was just so amazing and supportive. And so has his uh, wife and daughter, uh, Mandy and Kel. Oh, wow, that's great. So after all of that, you moved to the States. So pick up the story there. Yeah, so as I as shared earlier, is that um, Stan's uh, wife and kids moved to the States. She got married to somebody in their church in uh, Tampa, and that gave us the opportunity to immigrate uh, to the U.S. Um, we set up home in, in uh, California, in Los Angeles. Very soon, we found out that we had a whole lot of friends and uh, a lovely life together, I lost my job, headed off to Germany to work uh, in a software company there, the result of which actually um, was detrimental to my relationship with Stan and, and we separated. Um, I later on went to Boston um, and in Boston, dealing with the fact that he and I separated, um, dealing with the fact that he felt that he no longer loved me and wanted to be with me, although he liked me. Um, Began probably five years of extremely destructive behavior, very bad relationships, um, and generally a time of just torment uh, as I dealt with my pain before I moved to San Francisco. Uh, we'd sold our company in, in Boston, and I was asked to, to join the company in San Francisco as part of the executive team. And I moved to San Francisco and... Uh, while it was had always been good on the business front and I'd been very successful, uh, my personal life was um, terrible. And at that time, as I mentioned to you, I felt like I needed to end it and I was very fortunate um, that I didn't and I began to call on friends to come and help me and I uh, found a support group to help me through um, my challenges. And... Um, as I was coming out the other side and having dealt with that pain of uh, loss, um, I'd always viewed my relationship with Stan as something sacred, something similar to what I had with Ali, um, and, and never contemplated the idea that we would ever be apart. Um, and here I was, separated, and my sort of dream, and a lot of that came from you know, the transition that I made from my marriage to Ali into my relationship with Stan. And having come through this and dealt with it and dealt with my anger and my uh, confusion, it was not long after that that uh, I met Rudy. Um, I think that's almost 15 years ago. And we've been together ever since. Um, he's been an incredible uh, partner and later husband. I've learned so much from him. We've, we've had our challenges. Our, after meeting him six months later, I had to return to South Africa and restart my immigration process. Um, he came out during that uh, time for three trips over that year. So kind of long story short, um, over overturning of Doma, and shortly after that, Rudy and I became one of the first 100 couples in America to actually be married and gain a green card on the path to citizenship as a result of marriage equality. I'm very grateful for that, and that created a whole lot of stability for me that was lacking. I'd always felt like I didn't belong uh, in this country. And now, um, you know, five years later after that, um, we are here in Palm Springs enjoying a very full 
and a wonderful life. That's brilliant. That's so good to hear. And I so appreciate you being willing to share even the tough parts of your life. But what would you say, looking back and your your involvement in the church and all those things, how should the church be different to deal with a young boy who thinks he might have these weird attract? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, what can we do differently in Christianity? Yeah, um, I think the biggest and significant thing, and perhaps I've missed it out, was a role models of healthy gay relationships. Um, that actually was interesting when Ali and I moved to Johannesburg, our next door neighbor, she and her husband had a son and his partner were the most incredible people to model what it meant to be a gay couple. And I think those are absent in our, our churches and in community back then. Um, people who modeled just normal, healthy, positive gay relationships. So um, the inclusion of couples in a, a, a church environment, I think, would allow people to understand that this is normal. This is healthy. This is good. Love is love. And it's no different with, you know, who you uh, choose to love um, and that you need that support. So I think, first of the, the role of community in that. And then a lot of it has been the hateful talk, you know, the ability to, to just um, the absence of hateful talk, understanding what really hurts. You know, when yeah. I, um, Brett reached out to, I reached out to Brett 20 years later saying, um, I'm looking for reconciliation. We're not going to agree on the theology, um, but what about friendship? And funny enough, I had made so many changes over that time and, um, I have the letter from Brett from 1997, and I have his response um, uh, that he gave me um, in 2017. No difference. There was no shift. There was still a lot of vile things that were thrown at me that saying, you know, concerns that I might have uh, touched uh, boys while I was in the church and, um you know, things like that. There was no shift in an understanding. So I think the big thing is this mind shift, you know, deconstructing what it means to be a Christian and reconstructing what it means to be a Christian. Um, so I, I think that idea of our speech, being very mindful, talk to, talk to uh, LGBTQ um, um, people and understand what is offensive, what is actually welcoming, um, what is helpful um and above all um must be you know that concept and idea and challenge of love love uh, um, include that's beautiful well thank you so much for your time Is there anything else you need to say that you want to add to all of this before we go there's so much that went through my mind as i kind of as i said to you i was in the treadmill um, every, an hour every day mulling over our conversation. And the first thing is thank you for allowing me to tell my story. Um, this is the first time I've ever sat down and somebody has asked me these questions. Wow. Um, it's um, unbelievable. Now, people have asked me pieces of the puzzle, but the aspect of listening, of just listening, um, this, is, this is a 61-year journey and um, for somebody to actually say to me, Glenn, tell me your story, um, is just phenomenal. And so wow. thank you. Thank you. Wow. 
Thank you. I really, I really appreciate your time. Pleasure. So, love you, my brother. Love you too. I look forward to meeting Rudy someday. We will meet. Yes, that'll be great. Love to you and Sheila and and the gang. Okay, stay in touch. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. So there you go. If that was helpful, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on social media platforms or email me at skipinusa at gmail.com or go to my website at skipcullens.com. Also, if you're able to help support the podcast financially, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash skipcullens. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash skipcullens. So until next time, stay safe. Shalom.